the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 33? Genesis chapter 33. Today we're going to um, be taking a look at this very difficult and dark passage. It's a difficult topic, a difficult section of Scripture. Challenging words need to be said because of it. And I have been praying that God would enable me to say no more and no less than what should be said, given what it is that the Bible teaches here. And let's hear what it is that God's word has to say. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 18, and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. Then he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it, and get property in it. 
Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and a gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem, and the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of the city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock their property, and all their beasts be ours. Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones. And their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? There are some sections of scripture where the Bible lays bare in challenging fashion the manifold inclinations of the human heart. There are sections in the scriptures where we read what it is the Bible is saying and we recognize that we need to understand that these are at times our own inclinations and we need to be chastened by the scriptures. There are some passages in the Bible where there are simply no heroes, no good guys, no team that you can cheer for, no man in a white hat. Genesis 34 is such a passage. There's nothing that would encourage someone 
just within this section of scripture. There is no part of this passage which would find itself on a verse a day calendar. You know those verse a day calendars that give to you an inspiring section of scripture? No part of Genesis 34 has ever been found in a verse a day calendar. You know how sometimes people engage with the scriptures by having a nice setting sun or a pastoral scene with a Bible verse on it that you can post on Instagram or Facebook? Well, there would be no pastoral scene with the words of, on the third day when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob took their swords and came against the city and killed all the males. I don't foresee that happening. This is a tough section of scripture. This is not one of those passages that you turn to if you needed to feel better about yourself. If you're feeling down, you wouldn't say, or a friend was, you wouldn't be like, hey, turn to Genesis 34 and be encouraged. It's not that part of scripture. It's not that kind of scripture, but that doesn't mean it's less important. It doesn't mean that it's less inspired. This is a passage in the Bible inspired by God, just as the rest of the scriptures have been. And as such, this is a passage that is important for us to consider, to hear, to heed. This is a part of the Bible that should show us all of the sinful ways of the human heart. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. Note, uh, there are several things for us to understand about this particular passage of Scripture. It starts out in the end of Genesis chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. And what we should note there is that sin always makes space for more sin. Something happens at the end of Genesis chapter 3 that's easy to miss. Jacob buys a plot of land in Shechem. There's a lot that we don't even understand about this. We're told in the Bible he buys it for a hundred pieces of money. A hundred pieces of money, meaning that we don't know the unit of measurement. We don't know if this is a piece of land, large or small. All we know is that this is a section of land that he purchases with a hundred pieces of money. And he uh, pitches his tent there. He settles there and he builds an altar there. This might seem innocuous. It may seem like this is something that's potentially good, right? Because he's displaying some sort of piety by building this altar to the Lord. He calls it something in particular, El Elohe Israel, what that means means is God, the God of Israel. But this is false piety from Jacob. You see in Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob had seen the Lord God and he had heard the covenant that the Lord had made repeated to him. He had seen Jacob's ladder and because the Lord had appeared to him in that particular place, he had called that place Bethel, the house of God, Bethel. He had made a vow to return to Bethel. And the Lord had made a promise to him to give him that land, the land of Bethel. And Jacob has not fulfilled his vow here. 
Instead of returning to the place that he had promised to go to, he settles instead in Shechem. And all throughout the scriptures, it is a bad thing to make a vow and not fulfill the vow. It is a bad thing to make a promise to the Lord and then fail to do that thing that you have promised. Jacob here has made a vow to return to Bethel and he has stopped short. The crazy thing is that Shechem is only one day's journey away from Bethel. He'd come to the very point of fulfilling the vow that he had made to the Lord and he had stopped. Here he was. In the fourth quarter, up big, just needing to run the football and bring home the championship. He gives up. He's on the doorstep of victory, certain to win, and he settles. And God had promised to give him land, and and Jacob here is untrusting, and instead he buys land and starts to settle in Shechem. He could have sung, I did it my way. And then this altar, right? This altar, El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel, supposedly demonstrating all of his righteousness and piety. And this is maybe the worst part. He's dressing up his faithlessness with the appearance of being faithful to God. Oh, this is something that we do all too often. Perhaps we even know that what we're doing isn't what we should be doing, but we're dressing it up. Oh, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for God. Oh, sure, I might have cheated to get this, but I, you know, I'm going to use it for the Lord. That will make it all right. It's, an, it's a curious sort of thing, and it's, it's the self-justifying impulse that all of us have. Oh, sure, I've, I've done that which is wrong. Let me do something that's right, and that will make up for that thing that is wrong. This is an impulse that's a part of all of our hearts to either dress up that which we're doing that's wrong, to dress it up as okay or as right or not that big of a deal, or to recognize that we have sinned and fallen short and and to try to do something to make it up rather than to repent and to trust Jesus. But make no mistake, this altar building and settling in Shechem is false piety. And this should be an opportunity for all of us to recognize that in all of the places where we are sinning, we need to stop. Stop the unrighteousness because it will give birth to more unrighteousness. It will create space for more wickedness. Sin doesn't ever give birth to righteousness. Sin is a polluted stream. It doesn't ever give to you clean, pure water to drink from. If you're caught in failing to fulfill the vows that you've made, or in any type of sin, stop, repent, turn from it. Don't try to make it right by dressing it up with righteousness. Because this unfaithfulness of Jacob creates the space for great wickedness. And Genesis 34 opens upon this great wickedness. Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, performs great wickedness. He seizes Dinah, Jacob's daughter, and he lays with her and humiliates her. The scriptures here in Genesis chapter 34 do not allow us any space to try to blame the victim. They don't allow us to put any manner of blame upon Dinah, who was likely around 15 years old when all this happened. The Hebrew words in the beginning verses of Genesis chapter 34 are completely one-sided. Words like to attack 
or to inflict, all done by Shechem upon an innocent victim. And in case we're tempted to believe that she had done something, something wrong, we're told why it was that she was even in this space in the first place. We're told why Dinah was out to see the women of the land, not to be around Shechem, not to see any of the men within that city, but to see about the women of the land. Any attempt to brush this gross evil under the rug is taken away from us by Genesis chapter 34. Dinah was innocent. And Shechem perpetrates a gross injustice against her, seizing her and humiliating her, raping her. There's a temptation in our society which is to do what's called victim blaming. Well, what was she doing there? What was she wearing? Well, they both must have some measure of blame. Genesis 34 doesn't give us that permission. And we must be Genesis 34 people who recognize that any act of sexual violence is the fault of the perpetrator of this injustice, not the fault of the victim. I've spoken about these sorts of things before. And something heartbreaking has happened to me when I've spoken about these things before. When I've talked about sexual immorality, and especially when I've talked about the victims, here at Orland, there have been young women who have come to me and have said, I have been the victim of sexual assault in our own midst, in our own congregation. Now, of course, I'm not going to say who came to speak to me. Of course, I'm not going to say that. But lest we think that this is something that just happens to people out there, we'd be terribly mistaken. And one of the things that is particularly harrowing is that among the women I've spoken to, they've said, you know, it's really, it's really my fault. I, you know, I, sh- I should have said something different. I should have taken somebody else with me. I shouldn't have been there in the first place. And what I tell them is, sister, this is not your fault. And so let me be clear to all you, my dear sisters that may have experienced this, it is not your fault. To any of you, my dear brothers, who may have experienced sexual violence perpetrated on you by another, it is not your fault. It is the fault of the one who committed this heinous, sinful act here, The one who bears the blame is Shechem and not anyone else. He is the one who perpetrated this gross injustice. He is the only one that bears that blame. And if you have been the victim, it is not your fault. The sin of sexual violence, the sin of rape, is something that is always and entirely the sin of the perpetrator of this evil. It's a sin that cries out for justice. And as you read this section of scripture, the Bible is crying out for injustice. The Bible uses language, the language of of being defiled. You can see that you can see that in a couple of different places that this is the language of defilement. And just to be clear, this is not to say that Dinah all of a sudden became something like damaged goods. What this is saying is that this was an unclean thing that was perpetrated against her that has implications for the whole community. That whenever something like this takes place, the whole community suffers from this. Sin is always something that disrupts community and sins of this grotesque nature that is so clear 
Then as the Israelites who received this section of scripture first would have read it, they realized, ah, yes, this defilement is something that impacts our whole community. This is something that should cry out for justice because it's something that doesn't just impact this person. It impacts all of us. It reminds us of how important it is for us to protect the vulnerable. Rape is such an intimate violation. It's the exact opposite of how God has created sexual activity to be. Rape is so ugly. It's the exact opposite of the beauty that God has created sex to be. You know, yesterday we had a wedding take place here, and it was beautiful. Evan Whitmer and Cassidy Vandekamp. I'll tell you what, every wedding is beautiful, and it is always such a privilege for me to be able to perform a wedding ceremony. I always stand right here, marked by this spot on the stage right here, and, and I have a, a, a great gift, and that is that each time the doors open and the bride comes in, I get to see the bride look at her husband. Man, that is a gift. You all don't get to see it as clearly as I do because I get to this privileged position right here, right in the middle, and I get to see the groom, usually with tears in his eyes. I get to see the father of the bride, usually with tears in his eyes, all of them beautiful, good, tears of joy. And then the bride and the groom come and stand in front of me, and they give themselves to each other willingly. And in front of of many witnesses, and they make vows to each other. And they say that they agree with with marriage as God has intended it to be. They announce that in front of all of those who are witnessing. And then they turn and face each other. They say their vows to each other. And it's this glorious thing, right? Because what they are committing to is entire, complete self-giving to the other person. To have and to hold that person and no one else. And the only thing that will part them is death itself. And this is so beautiful. And this is the context within which God has intended all sexual activity to take place. It's only supposed to take place within that context when a husband and a wife have made public promises to each other and have given themselves entirely to the other. And when that happens, that's something glorious and beautiful. And sexual violence is the opposite of that. And it's part of why it is so ugly And it's part of why the call for us as Christians is to protect the vulnerable, to make sure that we will not allow this thing to happen, to speak out against it, and to say, God has given sex to be something beautiful. What's so sad is that this gross wickedness has happened, and all of the responses are distressing. You can see that there is the silent inaction of the Father. This gross evil that Shechem has perpetrated against Dinah cries out for justice and cries out for a response. And that's part of what makes verse 5 so shocking. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob had come in from the field. As soon as they heard it, the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. 
Here's what's crazy. Jacob hears about this. He hears that his daughter has been raped, and he is just quiet about it. Now, Jacob is not a person who is characteristically silent in the book of Genesis. He's not somebody who's just given to silence about these sorts of things. And then the perpetrators of this injustice come to speak to him, and he still says nothing to them. Not anything. He doesn't speak up for his daughter If any time was a time to speak, it's when the perpetrators of this great evil come and talk to him, and he doesn't say anything. And what's astounding is that the brothers of Dinah need to be the ones to respond to Shechem and to Hamor here. Jacob has said nothing. And this part of the passage makes me angry that Jacob is not willing to speak, that he says nothing. Some of the reason that this makes me so angry is that I know that in my heart the same thing dwells, right? Well, this is terrible, but what can I say? I, what can I say? I mean, nothing's going to change, so why would I say anything? And I actually think that this is a pandemic. It's fathers who will not speak. I think that this is a pandemic. Fathers that see injustice and will not speak. Fathers who see sexual immorality and will not speak. What are people going to think about me if I come out against this too strongly? This is heartbreaking. How dare we not say something when God has called us to speak? You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the e-book, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com